All right, welcome everyone. We are now live. Uh, my name is David Parenti. I'm the chair of the Local Emergency Planning Committee. This open meeting of the LEPC is being conducted uh, remotely consistent with Governor Baker's executive order of March 12, 2020, uh, due to current uh, COVID outbreak. In order to mitigate the transmission of COVID-19 virus, the town of Northboro has been advised and directed to suspend public gatherings. And as such, the governor's order suspending requirement for open meeting law to have all meetings in a publicly accessible physical location. All members of the LAPC are allowed and encouraged to participate remotely. Uh, public is encouraged to follow along using a posted agenda. Uh, members of the public who wish to live stream the meeting may do so by going to Northboro Remote Meetings on YouTube via the link on the agenda. Ensuring public access does not ensure public participation unless such participation is required by law. This meeting will not feature public comment. Uh, we're gonna do a roll call of, of all members present. Uh, I'm actually gonna ask you to introduce yourself and who you represent. Uh, I will call out your name and then you can introduce yourself and who you represent. Uh, and we'll do that first to make sure you can all hear. So we'll start with uh, Mike Parr. Hi everyone, I'm Mike Parr. I'm the new hazmat assistant in town. Took over from Mike Borowitz back in July and have been trying to uh, learn all the uh, tricks to the trade here. Uh, so this is the first meeting I've been on and um, it's good to see everyone. Thank you, Michael. Mike Corelli. Morning, everybody. Mike Corelli, I am the plant manager at Steris AST. We're on uh, 435 Whitney Street. So good to see everybody. Happy New Year. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Pam Masters. Hi, I'm Pam Masters. I'm at Worcester uh, Division of Public Health. Used to, um, you, you probably all used to see Alyssa um, Aretti on this call. She is still here, but she's uh, Chief of Emergency Preparedness now. Um, so I've moved into her old um, HMCC, the Health and Medical Care Coordinating Coalition role. Um, and in a minute, you'll meet Shane, who is also on the team. Thanks, Pam. Bob Federico. Good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Federico. I'm the building inspector and the zoning enforcement officer for the town of Northboro. Thanks, Bob. Shane. Good morning. My name is Shane Kevin Wagner. I'm with the Worcester Division of Public Health representing Region 2 HMCC. Good to see you again, Shane. I haven't seen you since uh, all, of our, uh, all of our clinics. Good, good to see you. And congratulations on the position. And Haley's up actually volunteering at our clinic today, so it's crazy stuff. I know Chris um, is busy over there. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, hang, hang on one second. I thought we were here at MT. No, we sent it out all remote. You can log in for your phone or you can sit down. <laughs> hang Thank on a you. second. I got to put my mask on because some people don't listen. Lieutenant Griffin. <laughs> Morning, everybody. Brian Griffin, Lieutenant with the Northboro Police Department. Jason. Morning, everybody. I'm Jason Little. I'm finance director for the town of Northboro. Kevin. Hi. Hi, I'm Kevin Filtrack, uh, Nemo West coordinator. And there's our, uh, Kevin's our contact. Whenever I need anything, I just call and say, send it to me, please. Kristen. Hi, I'm Kristen Jerome. I am also local coordinator, um, Nemo West. I am uh, working with Kevin right now. I am a part-time as a 
local coordinator at the time being. I just came back from a medical leave, so I'm happy to be back with everybody. Welcome, Kristen. Uh, Mike Sarapiglia. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Mike Sarapiglia, Health Safety Environmental Manager for St. Cobain. St. Cobain Research and Development Center on Goddard Road. I'm also a uh, uh, call firefighter in the town. Yeah, so uh, Mike, Mike kind of serves uh, two purposes here, so lucky him. Uh, hang on a second, I'm trying to do two things here at the same time and I'm just not that good. Scott. Good morning, everyone. Scott Osborne, Asset Protection Division Manager for Wegmans Food Markets. Hang on a second. There we go. For some reason, my thing decided to start talking in my ear. Uh, Leslie. Good morning, Leslie Rattan, North Bar Board of Selectmen. Happy New Year, everyone. Nice Thanks, to see you. Grimes, I assume that's not your first name. Hi, Chief, it's Don. Uh, oh, Don, I'm, sorry. Yep. That's okay. That's okay. I'm Don Grimes. I'm uh, the assistant uh, manager for uh, New England Division with uh, Wegmans Food Markets. Yep. Welcome, welcome. Uh, John. Hello, everybody. John Coderre. I'm the Northborough Town Administrator. Thank you for uh, well, taking the time out of your days to, to be here for this meeting. We really appreciate it. Uh, Katie. Hi, I'm Katie Jacobson. I'm the regulatory analyst for Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Agency. Thanks for being here, Katie. Is it Brianna? Is I pronounced that one right? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me, Brianna. I work for Wegmans, the local North Bro store. Welcome, Brianna. And uh, I don't think I called on Jason yet, did I? Brunetti? Uh, Jason Brunetti, uh, Iron Mountain Data Centers. Uh, 171 Barefoot Road. Oh, lovely place. You got that building scares the heck out of me, just so you know. Um, and behind, uh, the, the, the big one, not, not, not the little one. Uh, I got the little one in the front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a data center. That one's not bad. Hang on, I'm trying to send. Uh... All right, go ahead, Scott. I'll let you introduce yourself. Scott Sharpentier, DPW Director. I don't know if you heard Scott Sharpentier, DPW Director, who didn't follow the rules. Uh, I'm sending him an email now. So he can get out of here. Well, welcome everybody. Um, well, this is a good, nice turnout we have. Uh, I guess people aren't don't hate Zoom because uh, they're all here, but uh, I, I'm tired of it. Um, Scott, I just sent you the link. It should be coming soon. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen, guys, uh, to get our uh, our PowerPoint up here. Sorry, Chief. No, don't worry about it at all, Scott. I'm just pick on you. Uh, where am I? Here we go. All right, so this is our January 14th, 2022 meeting. Uh, it's been uh, six months since we met, right? And uh, a lot of interesting things have happened in those six months, I'm sure you would all agree. Uh, our agenda for today is, you know, we'll do introductions, which we just did. We'll cover any old business that we have. Any new business incident response overview, which we do have a couple we'll talk about. Um, we, as I told you guys, I think in the last one, we're, we're going to start talking about uh, every meeting, a little bit of the hazardous material emergency management plan and, and uh, what's going on with that. I want to have Mike talk about the tier two reporting. 
a little bit about 21 East site assessments and uh, any other business when they have come up. Uh, here's all of our links, my information, Mike's information, and if you need to join a meeting. So I already introduced myself, uh, Mike introduced himself. We did a roll call in attendance. Uh, old business, the first old business thing we have to do is to review and approve the meeting minutes from June 24, 2001, that were all sent out. Uh, hopefully you'll have a chance to review it. They'll have a uh, motion from anyone. Keith? Yep, Leslie. I move that we approve the Northboro Local Emergency Planning Committee meeting minutes of June 24th, 2021. Thank you, motion by Leslie, do I have a second? Second. Second. Second by John and Mike. Uh, all, all those in favor, just raise your hand. Perfect, there we go, opposed, passed. That's easy to do. Um, too far, too far. So stuff we wanna talk about is uh, tier two training coming up. So uh, there's a sign up uh, available. Mike, you sent this out to everybody, correct? Uh, I'm not sure if I forwarded the actual link for this uh, webinar, but um, they have this PowerPoint in their emails, so it's on there. But <clears throat> pretty much uh, February 8th, Massachusetts Facilities is a webinar on the Tier 2 reporting. Um, also on the website for EPCRA, there's, all, there's their uh, YouTube series that explains all of it. So if anyone's new to the process, like me, or um, <clears throat> uh, their facility, um, you can review this to kind of understand what's due on March 1st. <clears throat> uh, any questions about that? It's uh, it, it's kind of a, if you guys haven't been in the software in a while, it's probably not a bad idea to hop in there, take the training. Uh, it's really how we need everything submitted to us through that, through the software. It just makes things easier for us. Uh, Mike, you want to talk about this at all? Nothing's really changed with the reporting this year. It's still due March 1st. Um, it's still electronic physical copies, the data sheets, site plans, in inventories. Um, and, you know, doing the process, we also get the updated contact information for the emergency coordinators. So this is all pretty run of the mill from what I understand about the tier two reporting. And uh, we've always had good compliance here in Northborough from what I've seen. Yeah, very good compliance. One thing I'm going to remind you all, I'm still getting emails to Mike Borowick for stuff. Make sure that you go into your system and change it from Mike Borowick to Michael Parr. Um, MPAR Act, town.northborough, P-A-R-R. Really important because if it comes to me, I, I'm still getting it, but eventually I'll be turning off Mike's email. And I just realized that Scott left, so I don't need to sit here with this on anymore. Um, so please make sure that, uh, that you put Mike's uh, email in there for all your submissions. That would be terrific. Uh, so uh, we always like to talk about some of our incident responses uh, we had. We had a, uh, a spill uh, of home heating oil into the basement of 229 West Main Street. Now, what was kind of unique about this is, is we didn't get the call from the homeowner. We got the call from the company that came in to, uh, to take care of it. And it, when we did get there, the entire basement had already been cleaned up. So for us to tell how much it spilled, where it went, uh, there's drains in the basement. It was just incredibly complicated to tell if this was in the groundwater because there was nothing there. I mean, there was no sand outside. There was no oil outside. There was nothing. So it was a little bit difficult for us to, uh, uh, to follow up on that one. So this ended up uh, becoming quite an interesting case in that uh, the officer in charge of that day very wisely did what he was supposed to do. And we reached out to uh, 
to DEP. When DEP got involved, it turns out it was a full tank that spilled in that basement, a full tank of oil. So, uh, and where did it go? Did it go in the ground? Did it go in the, did it go outside? Well, the homeowner did some cleanup, um, but he didn't reach out to us until, well, again, he never reached out to us. It was actually the, the oil company that reached out to us and advised us. Uh, so DEP got very involved. Uh, John, I know you got a report on this uh, indicating about the leak. Um, it, it's, it, it's just a reminder that not everything we deal with is deals with commercial uh, properties, which a lot of people think, well, you know, the hazmat we're worried about is dealing with commercial. No, this is the stuff that I'm scared about and we don't know about this kind of stuff. So it, it's definitely uh, was an interesting case. Mike, did you, uh, Michael Parr, do you have any other information on this or that pretty much covered that one, right? That pretty much covered it. It's just an example, which we'll go into the 21E site assessments that we'll touch on later. That uh, All this information is available online and it's one of the resources we use to do those assessments um, when we discover these things. Yes, Bob. You're muted, buddy. Okay, sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> it, as, as the building official, I wasn't notified about this until we got an application from the contractor to remove sections of the floor and pin the foundation walls in order to remove the contaminated soils. Um, That's a problem. Yeah, if, 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 because I don't get notified of a spill either. And typically in situations like this, if a spill is involved, it involves some sort of a permittable work to be done through the building department, you know, in terms of picking up the slab or, um, you know, you know, taking out part of the foundation and replacing it. Uh, obviously, all that stuff needs to be engineered. But um, if there's a mechanism with which when you folks get notified, if I could get notified of my department, we can flag the property. Uh, that would be a huge, huge help. Easy, e easy fix. Um, I apologize for the oversight, Bob. I'm just so used to you finding out everything because we normally tell you everything. So I'm yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of weird, but um, I'll be yelling, Dan. That's Captain Brillhart's fault. He's not here, so I can yell at him. Don't blame him. Okay. All right. Thank you. We'll make sure we follow up in the future. I do apologize. Yes, Leslie. I just got a question. Do we know why that happened? Did the tank corrode <laughs> it out? There was a failure. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, and, and, it, and no one bothered telling us. So again, that's the frustrating part. If uh, the oil company hadn't called us, we wouldn't have known. And someone, you know, someone would have bought that house with all that underground underneath them. So it was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, some other incidents, we had 21 responses for uh, involving gasoline and natural gas. Uh, we had a gas tank failure uh, that leaked into the storm drain. Uh, we had a, uh, uh, an incident at, uh, at Shopsway. We, for, for some reason, since Shopsway has been there, we have had more issues with, get, with their gas services up there. Uh, I, I don't know why it's been such an issue, but uh, we're, it seems like we're constantly up there dealing with different gas leaks and it takes them forever to fix it. Uh, we have uh, four appliances uh, that had issues, one ruptured gas line because someone stuck a post through it. Uh, we had uh, an interesting issue with a, an abandoned 250 gallon uh, LPG tank that wasn't found. We did a bunch of calls for, uh, and this was out by, uh, out towards the, uh, the Bearport Road area. So we we're getting all kinds of calls for an odor in, uh, of LPG. We can never find it. 
and eventually well, one of the uh, one of the officers we actually found an abandoned tank out in the out in the uh, in the woods uh, that was slowly uh, weeping off, and uh, that's what was causing the issue. So that was an interesting one. Uh, Mike, we still have the my my pictures of the abandoned tank in here, right? You didn't take that out of this presentation. Yes, that's at the end. Okay, okay, we'll we'll, we'll cover that. So the the abandoned tank we found is uh, on West Main Street. Uh, directly across from Dunkin' Donuts on the land that will hopefully be the new fire station. Uh, and it was kind of an interesting uh, situation over there. So we'll, we'll, we'll go through all that. A uh, couple other minor calls here and there. The, the one that I don't see listed on here that I, that I did want to mention, and that's my fault because I didn't point it out to Michael, is we had a, a leaky uh, gas tank failure that, and I think that's actually the one where DEP was notified of the possible runoff. That the person actually moved, found the, the car was leaking in the driveway or in the parking lot. And then they put the car into the garage that is underneath an apartment building, leaking, and then called us. Uh, we therefore moved the car out from underneath the garage because that's not really a safe place for it. Uh, but we, we lost. Is that that one, Michael? Am I correct? Yeah, that was the gasoline tank failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the tank failed, and that was up on uh, up on uh, Main Street, uh, one of the apartment complexes, and uh, that was that was an interesting one. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the plans and, and the changes that we we want to take. We want to talk about at the plan. So, uh, one of the things uh, the the hazardous material emergency management plan really should be a a living document, and what we tend to do in the LEPC realm and in the fire service. And I guess in general, as we create these plans, we put them on a shelf for five years, and then we look at them again in five years and we rewrite them. Doesn't do a whole lot of good. It really should be a live document that we look at every now and then and say, hey, yes, I agree with this. No, I don't agree with this. So we're, so we're gonna break up little sections and look at, at, at it on, on a regular basis. And this one we're gonna look at today has to have to do with response level criteria, okay? So, we have a response level criteria of a level one, which is a controlled emergency condition, level two, which is an limited emergency, and level three, which is a full emergency condition. Now, uh, a, a, a level one would be a, I'm sorry, I went the wrong way with my, with my arrow. Okay, a level one is an incident controlled by primary first response agencies such as us. Now, the reason we're going over this guys is I wanna know if, if you're in agreement with what we have in here for our level one, our level two, and our level three. If you're okay with the way it's written, we'll check it off and we'll go to the next section, right? So a single jurisdiction with limited agency involvement, this would be a typical gas tank spill or something like that. Very confined geographic area, no immediate threat to life health or property. Um, it, uh, you know, incident command initiated, uh, very, IC establishes uh, liaison with the, if needed with a facilities emergency coordinator. So. We go to uh, St. Cobain, we go to Wegmans, Wegmans has a little spill or something. You know, we, we talk to the emergency person there, say, hey, there's a small spills, we're gonna clean it up. We determine if it's big enough to, be, to have to notify DEP uh, or if we have to go to a higher response level. There's really no need for public warning in this type of, 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 uh, of level one controlled emergency. Level two is when we start getting into a, a bigger one, which is potential threat to life, health or property has a little bit more of expanded ge geographic scope, limited evacuation if needed of nearby residents or facilities. Uh, could involve more than one or one or two jurisdictions, uh, limited participation, normally mutual aid for coverage. This is an estate level call probably. 
could be we may need to bring a specialist or technical team, but we may not. Uh, and uh, it's normally we have fire, police, EMS if it's involved. So uh, we we do have we have had had a, a couple of these. Uh, we had one years and years ago out at uh, out at Stairs. So we we've had them. Uh, we had a, a uh, an oil. Uh, we had a truck that was running around town that was leaking uh, diesel fuel all over town. A large geographic area, not necessarily potential to threat to life or, or property or health, maybe some property. So each of these had to be looked at, but this would be a level two. Um, it, it does of course involve ICS implementation, but it also normally brings in a safety officer, maybe, maybe other specialties. Unified command is what we would say it would be me. It would be someone from the fire department, someone from the police department, someone from building, someone from most likely in this case, Mima would be here depending on how bad it was. Maybe this, maybe the state uh, hazmat team. This would be a, a unified command, uh, and, and whether or not we had to open up our our, uh, our local emergency operations center and all that, uh, and we'd have to again evaluate whether or not this would have to go to a higher response. May require limited warning. So this is where Code Red would come involved, uh, involved, which we have Code Red, which is our our notification system. That would be something I would talk to the town administrator about. The police chief would say, "Hey, let's implement Code Red." And notify the people in this geographic area we have this issue. That's why it's really critical. We try to make sure uh, we notify people all the time. They need to sign up for code red notifications. Really important to get that. Uh, EMS would obviously be part of this, but again, in this case, we are EMS, so not a big deal. Level three is a serious hazard or, or severe life-threatening health and property. Very large geographic area, multi-jurisdictional, state and federal involvement, specialist technical teams, emergency response. Thank goodness, I'm gonna tell you, I've been in the fire service for way too darn long, over 40 some years, and I have not had to deal with a level three full emergency condition. I have drilled on them, I have not had to do it. Uh, this would probably uh, necessitate the board of selectmen uh, or the town administrator through the board of selectmen to declare a state of emergency. And, and the reason we do that is because it makes things easier to do things makes it easier to spend money. It makes it easier to, uh, to order people to clean up. It makes it easier for evacuation. Uh, we can order mandatory evacuations once we declare that state of emergency. Most of you should be familiar with the state of emergency because we just spent over a year in one with, uh, with COVID. So it, it does help a lot and, and it gives the incident commander, the emergency operations center a little bit more leeway in what they can do. Response level for this, it would be obviously the public would know about it state resources involving federal resource, uh, state police would be brought in. Without question, EMS is part of the, is part of the uh, incident command. And it's very possible this could uh, result in a mass casualty incident. Uh, level three emergencies, are uh, hazmat emergencies, I'm gonna be honest with you, are one of the things, there's two things that scare the heck out of me that I don't like dealing with as a fire chief. One are big brush fires because they're really uncontrollable and they go all over the darn place. And I've had to deal with a 90 acre brush fire. I never want to do that again. And the other one is uh, a level three. I'll deal with building fires all day long, but this 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 level three hazmat is is really kind of scary. Um, it's uh, hazardous material emergencies range from small fuel fields like we, like spills like we talked all the way up to major uh, uh, spills. And again, the three levels are level one, which is the control, level two, which is Kind of a limited emergency in a, a level three. Uh, my question would be to all of you, are you comfortable with those levels as they're laid out? Do you have anyone have any concerns, questions? 
Uh, we do train and plan for all of these. Uh, Michael and I um, have discussed, uh, we're gonna be doing the tabletop coming up, probably of, of a level two emergency. Um, I'm not gonna do a level three emergency. Uh, level three emergencies are the ones you see that the state coordinates through MEMA. Kevin, if you uh, have anything to, to mention about that, like uh, several years ago, um, uh, city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, we did a huge, uh, uh, we I don't know if you were around Kevin when we did that, but a big uh, um, federal uh, level three drill. Were you around for that one? No, those a little before my time. Okay. Um, but that said, uh, you know, right now we are kind of COVID focused, but as yeah. those um, come up, we certainly will let communities know so that if there's opportunities to participate or even observe, um, then you can do so. Great, thanks, Kevin. The one that that, that we do get called into is uh, is the um, the nuclear power plant, uh, the Seabrook plant. Uh, our tech team does get notified of that every year. We uh, we are able to participate in that every year if we wish, uh, and that is actually we actually get funds for that if we participate. We get money back for that. So, and uh, some I do have uh, no tech team. I have some. I have some uh, tech team members, but no hazmat team members on my department right now. So we're not normally participating in that. Um, so that's uh, that's the section of the hazardous material emergency plan we wanted to go over. Again, anybody have any questions, concerns about the different levels that we talked about? Excellent, seeing or hearing none, I will go on. So we have been very busy since July 1. And so has uh, Michael, since Michael had a, had a great learning curve when he came on board, uh, he's issued so far 157 hazardous material permits since July 1. Now, granted he came in during our, uh, our research process, so he's gonna, he's gonna get hit with a lot of those. And you can see how they're all broken out here. We have, uh, so some of these above ground storage tank installation removals, removal install, all of those ones are, those are regular ones we have on a monthly, on a monthly basis. Uh, LP commercial, LP residential installs, but the permits, the process, the hazardous material storage, the flammable storage, those are the ones that Michael gets involved in. Uh, the process, uh, the, uh, the permit, the process as they come in, he reviews those. Normally then gives me uh, insight as to, yeah, there's no concern or yeah, there, or, or, or yeah, there is concern and we need to review this. So when you guys fill out all those permits, that's where that's the process to come in. Uh, they get reviewed by Michael. If they're uh, able to be handled by the shift, the shift handles them. If they're able to, if they go to a higher level, Michael handles them. So 157 isn't terrible, but it just lets you know how much, uh, how much is going on out there with, with hazardous material permits uh, just here in the little town of Northborough. Michael, I'd like you to speak to the 21E site assessments. We have had three requests uh, in town. Sometimes, interestingly enough, and, and before Mike speaks, we'll, 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 get a, we'll get a freedom of information request looking for basically all the information you would get on a 21E, which, so you guys know, that's a way to work around the fee for the 21E. There's a $200 fee for a 21E site assessment. People will call up and say, oh, all I want is a freedom of information. And then they lay out all the information and I have to explain to them. That's a 21E request. You can put the application in for that. And uh, I, I work with our, uh, with our freedom of information uh, coordinator, Andy Dowd, our, our, our clerk to make sure he's aware that that request was put in and where I'm redirecting them. But we do get several of those a year. And sometimes they follow up with a full true 21E. Sometimes they just go away. So Mike, can you speak to these? Sure. Um, there were three 
77 Main Street, 325 West Main Street, and 13 Church Street. So uh, the top two, 77 and 325, were um, <clears throat> assuming people looking at developing those properties. 13 Church Street is the old fire station. Uh, the town wanted to prep uh, the site for proposal requests and whatnot. So we did one up for that. But like the chief said, we uh, I don't think people realize how extensive we, we do them um, and the detail that we get with them. Uh, they think they just can get a yes or no on whether or not there was something listed at the address. And uh, we go into a little more detail in, with our reports. Yeah, we, we try to, so when someone calls up for a 21 year site assessment, they want to know if the site's been cleaned or not, and or if there was a spill there six years ago. And, and interestingly enough, sometimes we don't know, as we'll talk about it on the next slide. Um, but for the most part, uh, Mike does a great job. He digs into our files. He, he can dig into DEP files. He, he does, uh, he'll speak with uh, with Bob or, or, or other department heads who and say, hey, you guys know of anything that happened here. So we know when we give uh, that person to ask for the 21A, uh, their report, we're giving them everything that we have on it. So a great example is we got that, that we were talking about earlier about that spill on West Main Street. That will go into our electronic file on that property. So four years down the road, when somebody does a 21E on the property next to it, we will have that available to say, actually, there was a spill on this site. This is what it was. It was cleaned up. Um, so it's not just a matter of uh, someone calling in and us calling the back and saying, yeah, it's fine as far as we know. We actually do dig into it a, a little deeper. Uh, so 321Es, that's not unusual. Uh, again, uh, we, we do them for the town. We did one for the town for 6165 West Main Street too, uh, which is the next slide. Um, so that's the same for the new fire station. We already, we're, we're pretty sure. And, and I'm gonna give John a, a big throw out here because uh, I'm the fire chief. So I want a damn fire station, let's get moving. And John is the town administrator and says, uh, yeah, I agree, Chief, but we need to do our due diligence and make sure it's clean. And I said, well, John, come on, DEP says it's fine. And John says, no, we need to do our due diligence and we need to do a really good uh, purchase and sales to make sure we're okay. Well, guess what they found? All kinds of stuff in the soil. And what they found was DEP tested for gasoline. Gasoline got cleaned up. DEP didn't test for diesel fuel. Guess what they found in the soil and underneath the building and in the corner? They found diesel fuel. So during the, uh, and I'm gonna let John speak to this in just a second, but during the cleanup process, they found an ab abandoned underground storage tank that nobody knew was there. So John, uh, you wanna speak before I move on to the next slide, which talks about the tank, would you like to speak to uh, the importance of the purchase and sales and how it was formatted and why we are where we are? Yeah, sure. So obviously, we're all anxious to get going on a, on our building project for a new fire station. Um, but we purchased the town purchased uh, um, essentially a remediated former gas station, and but there were still structures on that uh, on that site. And uh, we hired our own LSP, and it's a lesson in this for anybody if you're looking to purchase a property. Um, and you're concerned that there was contamination and it had been previously remediated. Um, I learned a couple things on this project. One that, uh, you know, an LSP does the remediation and completes all the reporting, but uh, unless it's audited, um, you know, by DEP uh, and it's not always audited uh, by them, um, 
it's assumed under the person's license to, to have been you know, remediated. Long story short, we hired our own, our own LSP to really dig into the property, and he was uh, concerned that there were a couple areas that could be problematic, particularly the ones under the building. So um, we had a very good purchase and sale structured uh, that uh, required the owner to remove all, the, all of the uh, building's structures and uh, intermediate any contamination that was encountered. And so uh, it's just like layers of an onion being peeled back. You know, the main contamination and tanks were removed on the initial remediation. Uh, now we found uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, work and remediation that needs to be done, checking the groundwater. And then I believe the chief has a couple of slides here of uh, there was even a surprise on top of the surprise out there. Luckily, uh, what was uh, found was another abandoned tank that there was no record of that nobody was aware of. Um, and thankfully, it looks like uh, other than leaving the, the tank itself in the ground, it was cleaned up properly and it had not leaked, which was great news. But just goes to show if that abandoned tank had not been cleaned up and no one knew about it, uh, you know, it could have been a very significant environmental uh, mess down there, a very expensive uh, thing to clean up. So uh, I know, Chief, if you want to kind of show a couple of pictures of what uh, was encountered during the remediation, the second round of remediation work that's out there. Yeah. So be, be, before I flip over, so I, I get a phone call, I get notified, hey, we found an abandoned tank on the site. Okay. Not a big deal. You know, pull a permit. And when you pull it, Call us, we'll come over, we'll look at it like we always do, look at the hole, make sure it's clean. And normally when we do this, I find that, you know, a tank that's over there, you know, that's, you know, it looks like a regular tank and, and we're all set. And I tell you, we look underground and it's not an issue. Well, what I found was, um, was this. And um, as you can see, this doesn't look like a intact tank in any way, shape or form. So I, I, I get there and I look, I went, oh, oh my God, what's going on here? So the company that was on scene remediating said, so what we, this isn't how they found it. It's similar to how they found it, but not how they found it. Somebody had actually cut the tank open, flayed it open, filled it, cleaned it, filled it with sand, pushed the sides back over and then pushed the ends over and then covered it back over. Now, uh, I, I, uh, tanks abandoned uh, on site do happen. And the normal process would be you would fill it with sand to keep it from collapsing in. But th th this, this was one that nobody knew of us. I think we figured it was about a 5,000 gallon tank is, is what we ended up determining it was. And so I get over there and I start taking pictures going, what do we have here? And you know, luckily enough, there was no sheen. By the time I got there, they had already dug out all the sand that was in, that was in the tank. And all we had in there was a, was, was a little water and uh, there was no oil sheen, nothing like that. So I was comfortable. They were going to test underneath where the tank was, but I wanted to stay there while they were pulling the tank out. So I did. And uh, hang on. It's going to do it for me. This is what I see the tank coming up out. So, oops. Okay. <laughs> so they pulled the tank all the way out and um, we're able to look underneath it. And the bottom of the tank, you can see the top of the tank is slightly, you can see it's a little, it's a little rusty. 
looked a little decayed, but they pulled this tank up out and the bottom of the tank looked remarkably in great shape. You know, that, that's really good shape for, uh, for a tank. Um, you can see the holes. Oh no, why are there holes? Those are the holes where the piping for the tank were. Um, so that, that's not, that's not damage. That's not rust. That's from the, that's from, that's from the, the piping of the tank. So I was like, well, oh, okay, not a big deal. What are we going to do with this tank? And this is what I see. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, they were just shaking the sand out so they could get everything in the hole that could possibly be a problem. Uh, I, I don't mind telling you that one caught me a, a, a little off guard. Um, they did test the hole and the stuff that was in there was fine. There was no more extra contamination. John. I was just going to say, so the, you know, the moral of the story here really is, you know, people ask, you know, why do we have to go through all these review processes? Why do we have to file permits? Why do you keep all these records? You know, had that tank been abandoned in place irresponsibly, um, that would have been a massive environmental cleanup that clearly would have gotten down into the groundwater and caused some significant issues for abutting properties. So, I mean, that's why we go through these processes is why you need to pull permits. And also as landowners, when you come in behind and you purchase something, you want some reasonable assuredness that there isn't, you're not inheriting a, uh, a contaminated site. And, and so that does happen. People you know, purchase a home or a property only to find out that there was a tank that nobody in this case here, you know, this, this had gone under multiple remediations and mm -hmm. nobody knew that this abandoned tank was there, not the previous owner or the owner before. So, um, but that's why we, you know, moving forward, we keep the records and it's for everybody's safety and, uh, and to prevent, you know, make sure that if people are going to remove or decommission tanks that they're done, properly, that they're cleaned out properly, and um, and it doesn't pose a hazard for the anyone coming behind them or the, the public in general. So I know it seems like people are always frustrated, you know, regulations, compliance, permitting, you know, why does why do we have to jump through all these hoops? Well, you know, it, it's not just for you, but it's for anybody who comes behind you. It's the same reason why we have building inspectors that have to review and sign off on any work that's done in, in your home. So that if you buy a house, if things were done legally and properly, you have some reasonable assurance that it was done safely. And uh, so I know folks, nobody likes regulation, but, um, but, but again, this tank, had it not been, you know, uh, cleaned out and done properly and just abandoned, you'd have a massive cleanup. I'll just, not to get too far off topic here, but the town acquired the White Cliffs property uh, on Main Street, the old, uh, the old mansion. And we did our due diligence up there. And, and lo and behold, there was an underground tank from 1970 that nobody knew was there. And our LSP kept picking and picking and picking and sampling. And uh, that was a half a million dollars of remediation. That was a, a large uh, oil tank that actually was abandoned in place and it was full and nobody knew it was, uh, nobody knew it was there. So it's why we keep the records. It's for, uh, it's for, for your safety and, and anybody coming behind. Uh, and again, you know, these things get into the groundwater. You've got a very big cleanup uh, on your hands. So yeah, luckily this one worked out. Leslie. Yeah, also, too, I think it's advantageous to have found that tank well before structure was on top of the property, rather than finding this afterwards and then, you know, having this gap or this kind of gaping hole below that would have had to be filled in underneath the structure. So, I, you know, all the more reason to have gotten that out of there. Yeah, 
you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm going to say DEP's gotten much better um, they, in tracking these t underground tanks uh, through the permits and everything. So uh, Michael or I will get a, an email. Hey, there's a, there's an uh, expired underground tank that needs to be removed or whatever it happens to be. Then we're notified or there's a tank that we're, we're proving to be abandoned in place. And this is what we're telling them to do. So we're much better at tracking them now. Uh, but, but interesting enough, I had talked to DEP uh, before we even moved on this property and asked them what they thought. Oh yeah, it's great, great place for a fire station because uh, you you know you're going to be on slab. And they had no idea it was there. So I just find it uh, I find it quite interesting. So well, we, we, it's not our noise it's, it's not our first rodeo. You know, we yeah. when we purchased the old fish and game property up uh, at one nineteen Colburn Street and had to manage that remediation uh, from the prior owner, the White Cliffs. You know, again, it just shows doing your due diligence and making sure that, uh, that uh, you know, you're, you know what you're getting into, especially, you know, a, a former gas station or an industrial site uh, that had former, has, has its material storage on it. You know, you just want to make sure that, uh, again, you're doing your due diligence. Okay. Thank you, John. Uh, for uh, that was it for our agenda for, for, for good of the cause. I just wanted to mention that uh, a year and a half, two years ago, I think uh, Mike, uh, maybe even longer, Mike Borowick and I reformatted our, our permitting process for hazardous materials to lessen the impact on, uh, on, on our commercial partners, uh, to lessen the cost on our commercial partners because paying for each and everything when you have 5,000 chemicals doesn't make sense. Uh, we, 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 we grouped them, we, uh, we um, made it much easier for the submission and uh, going, I just wanted to report back on that, that's worked out very, very well for us. And that we're still getting all the information we need. The permitting process isn't for us to make money. And I try to explain this to people. It's not for us to make money, it's for us to track what's going on. So we still run the permitting process and, and, and all the, uh, in fact, everyone who's online here that I can see, they are very great sending us full spreadsheets. This is what we have. This is where, you know, this is the chemicals we have. And we're able to incorporate that into our new, uh, our new software. So the guys in the field, when the men and women are in the field, they can actually bring right up that, uh, that document and see what we have in the field, uh, what we have in there. So I just wanted to, uh, to mention that was actually Mike, Mike Borowick's doing and, uh, and, and Mike Parr is taking over and doing an outstanding job with it. So that's very going very good. The other thing I did want to point out, uh, just because uh, uh, I can, is that um, uh, Mike Borwick, as you know, was our was our grant guru. Mike wrote all our grants and did an outstanding job. Well, uh, Mr. Parr over here is already uh, stepping up to uh, to the plate, and he's already gotten us two. And the last one we just found out about the other day was nineteen thousand dollars for more turnout gear. So we're very excited uh, turnout gear and some other stuff. So. Uh, well, Mr. Parr had a uh, had a big thing dropped on him. He's doing an outstanding job with it. We're very excited for that. So that is the items we had on our agenda. I would like to give everyone a chance uh, to speak up. And, and uh, uh, Kevin, I know we're going to jump right off of here and onto onto yours because I know we have uh, we have another one scheduled for uh, another Zoom meeting. But does anybody have any questions, comments, concerns, anything they'd like to bring up? Any questions about the departments dealing with COVID, all that? Yes, Leslie. Yeah, Mike, thanks for all the, the grant stuff. That's that's fantastic for our town. Um, also, was there any identifying information on that abandoned tank that you found? Because that is the most, one of the most irresponsible things I can think of. Take that tank and just dump it in the woods. There's no, there was no way to track Oh, the, the, you're talking about the LP tank in the woods? Yes. 
Michael, I don't remember. I, 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 I kind of tangentially, I, I wasn't really into that. Do you remember if there was anything? I don't know if, I don't think they were ever able to track the owner, but the company that was responsible for it was on the tank. So they were, they came out and cleaned it up. Okay. So the, the company that did the original install, wherever it was, figured it out. I don't know if they figured out where the initial property was. Right. So, so I, don't, I don't know who it was. It could have been Amerigas. It could have been, I don't, know, I don't, I could look back in a report and find out, but we advised them when we found the tank, they came out and picked it up and took care of it, but we don't know where it originally came from, Leslie. Was there any other kind of cleanup involved around it? No, no need, no need. Okay. It was just off gassing slowly and it was driving us nuts because we could not find out where it was coming from. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, thank yeah. you for that. Thank yeah. you for all the reporting on these things. Anybody else have anything that they would like to have any comments, questions, concerns? Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, what we try to do is if there's any new training, we did send the one thing out for the tier two. I would ask you to concentrate on that, really important. There are constantly uh, uh, three, uh, ICS 300 and 400 courses that are coming across my desk. Uh, most of, uh, I know, in fact, all of the town employees of all, not all the people who needed to have the three and 400 training. But if anyone uh, from uh, our commercial partners out there are interested or looking for training, please reach out. I'd be happy to see if I, Michael, I can do some searching and find some stuff for you. If you're looking for any uh, extinguisher training, we work with that with people. Um, obviously with COVID, we're doing things a little differently now. Uh, I can tell you that we have been crazy busy with COVID and with PPE and responses, and it has just been insane. And uh, I can tell you the department went almost two full years with no positives. And we had our first positive for one of our employees last week, really pissed me off because I was hoping we'd get through the whole thing and be able to say, yeah, uh, but no, no such luck with, uh, with Omicron out there. But uh, he's now tested negative and he's back to work. Um, so if there's no other comments, uh, the next meeting will be in approximately six months. Hopefully, uh, maybe we'll be doing a tabletop at that meeting because uh, we do need to do them. And uh, if not, thank you all very much for, for joining us today. I appreciate it. And I'll see you all in about, well, hopefully I'll see you before then, but I'll definitely see you all in about six months. Oh, Mike, you got something? Or were you just waving bye? Yeah, that was, that was just a clap. Good job, Chief. <laughs> good job. No, really, good, and, and, good and information Michael, sharing. <laughs> Michael, I, 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 di I didn't forget about your, your positive. I just didn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, made it through. Okay, buddy. I'll talk to you guys all later. My, uh, Kevin, we'll join you in just a minute. All right.